Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Well, welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska. And man, I hope that people are enjoying the Alaska summer. It's a bit rainy here on the Kenai Peninsula, but man, my grass has never looked as green as it is today. Um, I uh, will cut right to the punch. We have a very special guest today, uh, Governor Dunleavy. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska show. Hey, John, it's great to be with you today. Thank you. Well, I'm super excited to chat with you. You guys just had a energy conference. You just release this new report that I believe is called the Alaska uh, Standard Report. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Tell me about this report and, and kind of the background a little bit behind it, how it came to fruition. So basically, the, the report kind of outlines um, what Alaska has going for it as an investment destination for those that wish to invest. Um, for a long time, John, as you know, Alaska has been an oil giant. And some would say that during that time, we focused mainly on oil and less on other things. Um, to, uh, to Governor Parnell's credit, when he was in, he worked on uh, making sure that uh, Alaska was a destination for cruise ships which have brought a lot of tourists to Alaska. And as a matter of fact, we may have record tourists this year uh, due in large part to his efforts to bring folks to Alaska. But we have so much to offer Alaska. And investors, ironically, at least from our perspective, interestingly, they they really, they didn't know that much about Alaska. It was almost as if we fell off the radar screen after TAP started producing oil. And uh, we just have so much to offer that we decided to put together a a little portfolio that outlines what we have going for us and what we have going for us uh, for for investors, not just from uh, America, but across the world. And so basically, that's what the Alaska Standard does. It kind of details um, Alaska, uh, its constitutional makeup uh, from uh, from, uh, statehood, uh, uh, pre-statehood in terms of the Statehood Act, constitutional makeup. Uh, the ownership of the resources, the types of resources that we have, the amounts of resources that we have, where they're located, um, how we interact with um, the people of Alaska, including our native populations, the Yanks of Corps, um, uh, the permanent fund, the purpose of the permanent fund, just a whole kind of a whole profile of Alaska so people understand this better. And um, it's been well received by those looking at investing in Alaska. And quite frankly, um, last several weeks, um, most of our most of our days are filled with uh, conversations with investors looking at investing, whether it's in the gas pipeline, in our forests, in the carbon concept that the um, legislature passed. We have folks looking at our geothermal resources, tidal resources. We uh, we just had conversations yesterday with an Australian firm that's looking at making hydrogen potentially in Alaska using a uh, uh, wind energy. So uh, this standard is, you know, once again, has outlined everything we've got going for us so that uh, the world can see what it is. That's awesome. So if if people were to pick up this report, I'm going to put the 
link in the description of the podcast so people can go check it out. But one of the things I think you say right out the gate in, in the report is that it's being the governor of Alaska is unlike any other place being the governor. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, first of all, John, it's the greatest state in the country, right? So it's like <laughs> it's, it. it's unique amongst the 50. It's the biggest, you know, it's the furthest northern, furthest western, furthest eastern state. I mean, the list goes on and on about its uh, uh, its location, its its beauty, its resources. But what's unique about the state of Alaska, there's two things, unlike any other governorship in any other state. First one is, as a, as a, as a, uh, a condition of statehood, the federal government required the state of Alaska to collectivize all of its resources underneath the government, underneath the sovereign. So, for example, if you go to Texas and you want to drill for oil, you're going to go on a rancher's land. You're going to have a discussion with the individual rancher. You're going to sink a well, and you and the rancher will be partners on what oil is produced. That rancher will get a royalty. The state of Texas might get a severance tax, but the rancher gets a royalty because that's his asset. In Alaska, uh, members of you know, members of the or individuals in the federal government, I believe at the time in the 50s that Alaska's population was too small for it to pay for itself through something like an income tax or a broad-based sales tax. There was only about 200,000 people, 250,000 people, and so the state uh, officials reluctantly agreed to collectivize our resources underneath the sovereign, and that's embedded in the Statehood Act as well as our Constitution. So basically. Alaska, uh, it's 105, 110 acres of land. Um, the state owns all the resources. That makes a huge difference from other states because in most other states, and especially when you, you look at Texas and those states east of the Mississippi River, it's almost all privately owned lands. And so that, that's one aspect that makes us different. The other is our constitution with regard to the executive branch, which the governor is the head of. Unlike any other state, the governor in Alaska um, has the broadest powers to appoint his people. So commissioners, boards and commissions, et cetera, they're appointed by the governor. They're not elected. In many places, I'll go back to Texas again, uh, you have uh, many officials that occupy positions uh, similar to what we have in Alaska, whether they're commissioners, whether they're on certain boards, they're actually elected by the people of that state, Texas. Here in Alaska, we appoint and the uh, legislature, in most cases, uh, they confirm. In some cases, they don't even have to confirm. The governor just appoints. And so that was the intent of the founding, uh, the framers of our Constitution, was to have a very powerful executive uh, to be able to uh, carry out the duties of the state. So those two things make us pretty unique. I love it. So, you know, um, one of the things that I think is often people don't think about is, you know, if we're living in Anchorage or even Juneau or Kenai or the Valley, we don't necessarily think of some of the crazy high energy costs that people in these remote areas in Alaska experience. I think one of the things that I've heard um, from the Lieutenant Governor last week, who was on our show, was that you have this um, visionary idea to get power to, I think it was 10 cents a megawatt. Talk to me a little bit about that dream. Yeah, 10 cents a kilowatt is what we're looking at. Um, what we want to do is we want to become very uh, uh, competitive as possible with our other states and with other locales in the world to um, have investment come here, have people come here and live. 
build our economy. Right now, our population is somewhat stagnant. And um, that, doesn't, that doesn't necessarily bode well for an economy because you need growth. You need more people demanding more, more goods and services, more houses being purchased, people going to restaurants, more kids in schools. Well, part of that competitiveness is you've got to make sure your energy costs are in line or lower than other parts of the country. Now, some people believe that our energy costs could ever meet or match those in other parts of the country, such as North Dakota, 10 cents a kilowatt hour. But the fact of the matter is, you know, we do have some places in Alaska that have pretty reasonable energy costs. For example, Juneau, I believe the energy cost at night is 7 cents a kilowatt hour. Maybe during the day, it's 11 to 15 cents a kilowatt hour. That's comparable, that's compa- and that's competitive with mem- uh, 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 member states in the rest of the country. However, there are parts in rural Alaska where without PCE, power cost equalization, the real cost of energy would be upwards of 60, 70 cents a kilowatt hour. And that, quite frankly, is um, it's almost an unlivable situation. So the charge I, I, I gave my people in putting together a task force on energy was to come up with um, you know three regions of the state, let's say coastal Alaska, uh, the rail belt and the rest of rural Alaska, come up with three those three areas and come up with three scenarios that could get us down to ten cents a kilowatt hour. Um, there's some people that think that you know that may never happen, but you know, I use the example of John F. Kennedy in 1961 saying we're going to send someone to the moon, we're going to put somebody on the moon before the end of the decade. You know, there were those that really believe that that couldn't happen either. But I think when people put their mind to something and they've got a mission and they have to stay focused. Uh, we can get there. At the very least, we strongly believe that um, we'll come up with some methods and some ideas that could uh, drastically reduce the costs in many parts of Alaska. Um, and so that's, uh, that is one of our big goals for the next three years, is driving down the cost of energy, making us more competitive so that our residents will stay and we can entice businesses up here to invest. I love it. Um, I think that that is a very good good goal to have because you know there's some communities, as you know, uh, here on the Kenai Peninsula, for example, they are still operating off of like diesel generators, the entire community. And uh, uh, I'm sure that other communities around the state would appreciate 10 cents a kilowatt uh, power. So uh, kudos. Yeah. To and it, it, yeah, let me, and let me just add something. I didn't mean to interrupt you, John, but it's very important. There's a battle going on in this, quite frankly, in the world and in our country between for lack of a better description, two camps in energy. One is um, renewables, decarbonization, and then the other camp is, uh, you know, fossil fuels and, you know, keep the cost of energy down. In Alaska, we're we're taking a unique path. Uh, Unlike some other states, we're an all-in state. In other words, whatever is going to work to reduce the cost of energy, we're in. If if gas is the way to go, we're going with gas. Um, If if, uh, wind power in some parts of the state works, like on Kodiak, Kodiak's 100% renewable right now with wind power and hydro. We're going to support that. So what you're going to see in Alaska is really, I think it's a smart move, and that is take advantage of every opportunity. Don't don't get wrapped up in the politics of uh, carbon, no carbon, fossil fuel, no fossil fuel. Um, employ it all. Uh, work it all to the benefit of our people. So I hope that Alaska garners the reputation as being a place where if you want to take advantage of any and all opportunities, go to Alaska. And I often tell the investors, you know, that our our motto, and, and it's interesting, most people don't know what the motto of their state is outside of Alaska, but our motto is north of the future. And in, in that, that just encapsulates everything about America and everything about opportunity. So we're, we're not going to be exclusionary in Alaska. We're going to employ everything that works. 
And is this what this new energy task force that the lieutenant governor is heading up? Is this one of the primary responsibilities of that task force is figuring out ways to make that dream possible? Yeah. And it's not, it's just not, it's not just energy generation. You know, they're going to be looking at energy transmission. They're going to be looking at energy uh, distribution. They're going to be looking at, um, um, you know, what, what other overhead do utilities have that they charge their customers? And so you may see recommendations come out of there that you may have two rural communities that are very close together that potentially could have a, a, an intertie uh, strung between those two close communities to reduce the cost of power from one to the other so they can combine those uh, two populations and scale up, which may, uh, may reduce the cost overall. You'll see other outfits that'll have wind power, other outfits that'll have wind and solar, wind and hydro, hydro alone. Uh, they're doing a great project out there in Dutch Harbor on geothermal. Um, Alaska is such a big state with isolated populations of Alaskans that it's going to have to be a multitude of approaches. And so that's why we're looking at the, re- uh, the state and the th- uh, breaking it into three regions. And that's why we're looking at three different models for each of those regions to see how we can get down to do a, a 10 cents or lower uh, and, uh, as much as possible. So um, yeah, well, I'm excited we- to see what the results are going to be. When we have a state that's as long as the United States, of one solution fits all does not really work. <laughs> right, right. So let's talk a little bit about LNG. I think, um, you know, one of the things I think that um, during your first uh, term that people were excited about was that you um, you came into office and you kind of inherited this plan from the previous governor that maybe you weren't too excited about, and especially some of the folks that voted for you weren't too excited about, and you took a different approach on the LNG project, which I think people appreciate. And I think there's, you know, I think that there's, I'm hopeful that it could happen. Can you give us any kind of peek under the hood on where we're at with the LNG project? Because, you know, I know that there's public meetings with AGDC and all those kinds of things, but you and I both know that the average person doesn't go listen to those kinds of things. So give us the scoop. Yeah, great question. So here's how I would describe it. Um, the LNG project, the large gas line project from North Slope to down a tidewater, um, uh, Cookie Inlet, Nikiski, is inching along. In other words, it's not static and it's not moving backwards. It's actually inching along. And what's different is uh, a couple things. First of all, we never got all of our permits until 2020. Uh, all of the federal permits that were needed were not in hand. And um, that really was only accomplished in 2020. There was also, uh, I think it was two lawsuits that were filed by NGOs against uh, this project. Those uh, lawsuits, I believe, have been resolved in the project's favor. So right now, uh, under, under my administration, uh, you've got a project that has all of its permits it's, it's pretty much clear of litigation at this stage of the game. And then what else has changed, obviously, is this war that uh, uh, Russia embarked upon with the Ukraine. That's kind of uh, caused chaos across the globe in terms of energy markets. And really, it's about security and sustainability. So two things have happened, or a number of things have happened. But along the security and sustainability issue, two things have happened. One is uh, this rush to renewables without the proper storage technology. Uh, has left uh, a number of countries kind of in a tough spot, especially in Europe, when the gas reserves were cut off and their renewable approaches didn't quite have the storage capabilities that uh, that they needed. They were left a, left a bit in a lurch. So the issue of security, sustainability, and reliability 
uh, rose to the forefront. And then uh, when you um, when you look at this this um, uh, so the so the war with Russia was a big part of it for the especially our Asian allies, allies the Japanese for example that were partnering with the Russians in the Russian Far East. Um, they became very concerned as to where their, uh, you know, where their gas is going to come from because they had to deal with the Fukushima fallout that occurred many years ago. Most of us are um, uh, aware, of, but also uh, unstable gas supplies now because of this Russian war. So between the rush to renewables and the chaos because of the war with Ukraine and how that's uh, so cast throughout the world, Alaska is now being viewed by investors as a very stable place, a stable place where uh, it's America. Uh, American jurisprudence, um, uh, America uh, run by Americans, obviously, we're the 49th state. But our proximity to Asia, we're only eight days by shipping to Japan, uh, has really gotten uh, individuals interested. So those issues, coupled with the fact that um, whether one agrees with it or not, the Asian allies, the Japanese, Koreans, et cetera, they are really also focused on reducing their carbon footprint. And again, like I said, um, whether one agrees with that or not, that's not the issue. The issue is that that's what they are looking at. As a result, this gas project is, has the lowest carbon footprint of probably any project in the world. We recycle our gas. We have for some time. We put it back in the Cook Inlet, or excuse me, uh, Prudhoe Bay. And we did that uh, to, to use that gas as a lifter for oil. And that gas is, an, is a lifter, you know, at least for the past uh, uh, decade or so is really improve the output of oil, a more lucrative product on the slope. So that's another reason why you didn't see a gas line 20 years ago or 30 years ago is because um, gas was being used in the process of getting oil to the um, surface. That's changed uh, That's changed over time. And our Oil and Gas Commission uh, just a few years ago uh, agreed to uh, revise um, uh, how that approach was taken. So they basically said that we can take down some gas now and sell that gas and that that uh, would not have a material effect um, to, to, to much of a degree to get oil out of the ground. So number of things have come together. Um, the other thing about carbon is um, uh, the Asian allies would like to store carbon. This is one of the reasons why we passed this carbon bill, so that we could potentially store carbon in Cook Inlet and uh, down the road in, in Prudhoe and, and, and other, uh, um, other uh, 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 basins within the state of Alaska. We have the ability to store, store more carbon than any other place in Western North America uh, with these basins. And so carbon, the chaos in the war, the ability to use gas, blow off gas now instead of just using it for a lifter, all of these things have bode well for this project. And so I'm not going to tell people to uh, get ready for a big parade yet, but <laughs> I would say that our conversations occur almost on a weekly basis. And every time we have a conversation, we're more encouraged by uh uh, investors that are looking at getting in and um, discussions with our Asian allies. And so hopefully sometime in the fall, we'll have even more news, but I, it, it's, it's inching along. That's awesome. I, I think that uh, as I've watched you the last couple of years, you tend to be somebody who doesn't like to talk about it until you know it's going to happen. And so um, I'm glad that you're hopeful and I'm, and I'm, and I'm hopeful that there's going to be more good news down the road. You know, I was. Uh, you never want to be a blowhard politician and uh, pretend something's going to happen when it never does. And uh, I, I don't want to fall into that trap. And so, um, it's a steady eddy approach on this gas line. And once once the papers are signed, the ink is dried, and we're standing in front of the cameras, then you can be assured that uh, we absolutely 100% got have something. But uh, but as of right now, it's it's moving in the right direction. I like that. So, 
my next question to you is this, you know, we, um, with this report talking about the LNG project, there's other projects that uh, are happening around the world. Do you think that Alaska is the gold standard for being able to make money off of resource extraction and be environmentally friendly? Talk to us a little bit about that, you know, in light of, you know, people thinking, oh, we can't, we can't do resource extraction because it's bad for the environment. Yeah, great question. So I, I think, like I said, since post-COVID, right, the world has been in chaos. Uh, labor markets, investments, price of, uh, price of energy, inflation, uh, political rhetoric, you name it. Uh, Alaska, again, is being viewed as a stable place, um, much more so than it had been before. They were looking at other places around the world. Alaska is now rising to the top. And so um, in, 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 you know, the, I guess the best way I would answer your question is where they used to go to places in Africa where there were no environmental controls, where there were dictatorships, where there was child labor, maybe there was also civil war going on between different ethnic, ethnic, groups, ethnic groups. You don't have that in Alaska. And so that's a stabilizing factor for investors uh, to take a look at uh, Alaska. You also, they also now know that when you invest in Alaska, um, you're, you, you have a much better chance of assuring that the environment is not wrecked because we have, we have high environmental, environmental standards here compared to other parts of the world. And so they're, what they're seeing is potentially a win-win by investing in Alaska. You're investing in a more stable environment because of our, the fact that we are America, our constitution, et cetera. We have a track record in Alaska of, of doing resource development. Uh, actually pretty well. And then uh, this, this coupled with the chaos that's happening throughout the world, they feel that by investing here in Alaska, we're going to take care of the environment. We don't have child labor issues. We don't have uh, uh, dictatorships going on in the state of Alaska because it, it is the United States of America. We don't uh, persecute our minorities. Um, you know, Alaska has the largest per capita uh, of, of Native Americans as part of our population and the first lady is Native American. And um, because of the corporate setup, the structure, uh, as well as uh, uh, many of our uh, other Native organizations, um, we, uh, we're all partners in this uh, resource development, whether it's the Nana Corporation, Arctic Slope, Cook Inlet, Doyon, uh, those corporations, et cetera, Atna, Sea Alaska, uh, they're, all, they're all making money for their shareholders, and they're all uh, involved to some degree in resource development. So, the world sees this. The investors see this. They see stability. They see a place where they can uh, invest in resources that won't despoil the earth and uh, won't uh, won't cause cause harm, cause harm socially to any uh, any 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 uh, any uh, groups uh, in Alaska. So it's a it's a positive all the way around. I like that. So uh, let's say I can give you a time machine and you can go back to day one as governor, what advice would you give your day one governor self? Just day one as governor. I was hoping you go back to, I think it was like 72 or something or 73 <laughs> where I was in all my paperboy money on secretariat at Belmont. I would have been a millionaire as an 11 year old, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll just go back to being governor. So what, say that, ask the question one more time, John, because I was thinking about winning money back in the 70s. What's the <laughs> You got a time machine. You can go back to day one as governor. What advice would you give your day one governor self? 
Um, you know, that's a good question. And, and people have asked me that before. And, uh, you know, it, it may be somewhat, um, I don't know, the answer may not be as exciting as some people think, because I was a superintendent of schools. And um, so, you know, politics was no stranger to me. Dealing with the public was no stranger to me. Um, dealing with staff and departments was no stranger to me. Um, I would say that, um, uh, boy, um, I couldn't have, I couldn't have uh, conceived of a pandemic. I couldn't have conceived of, um, you know, negative $3 barrel oil. What advice would I give Dunleavy on his first day? Um, just uh, tighten your seatbelt up a little tighter than maybe you did. <laughs> maybe, maybe, put the, maybe put the shoulder harness on. Um, but I would say that, uh, you know, for anyone that's, uh, aspiring to be a governor and, you know, quite frankly, it's, it's the most exciting job I think anyone could have. Um, you, you really have to have a mission and I did have a mission coming in. I wanted to make sure that, um, you know, we became a safer state that we could drive down the cost of energy. I wanted to make sure that, uh, Alaska got back on the map so that, uh, we could get investors up here. I mean, I'm fortunate, John. I, my three daughters are in state working, and they're in state working at Red Dog Mine, and it's a pretty good paying proposition for them. So they're they're living the Alaska dream, yeah, they're living north of the future. And so I would um, I would say that it's really again. Let me just turn the question a little bit. For anyone coming into the job, you really should come into this because you have a mission, not not just because you want to be governor, not just because you want to dress up in a a tuxedo and go to a dance or go to a ball and drink champagne, all of which I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I guess I have a reputation. I'm not really, uh, you know, uh, focusing on that stuff, but it's really solving problems. It's really driving Alaska to towards its potential. That's the, you know, that would be any advice I'd give anyone coming in here is if you're going to run for governor and for that fact, any office, to be honest with you, it's a, it could be a brutal long couple years if all you did was run because you wanted to, quote, be governor. It, but if you have a mission, if you, if you, if you have a mission, you want to make it a place a safer place, you want to improve education, you want to drive down the cost of energy, you want to grow food and make Alaska self-sufficient, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, it's an amazing job. Let me, let me just put it that way. Nice. Well, we've... Uh... 30 minutes has gone by in a flash. Do you have any last minute thoughts for uh, folks? The floor is yours. Uh, talk about uh, whatever. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great state. I mean, you know, we, we complain sometimes about the weather, like this summer is a cool summer. It's a wet summer. But what we don't realize is you got places like Texas that's, that's 114 degrees. Uh, their, their, their power grids are being strained. Um, that's a dangerous heat level here. It's what 55, 57 degrees. I, I frankly, I kind of like the cool weather personally, uh, but we've got a great place here. We, we were one of only two States during the, um, uh, the time where they were rioting and burning and looting here a couple of years ago that we didn't have any of that here in the state of Alaska. We support our police here. We don't say defund them. We support our military. We're, we're so thankful they're here. Um, we, we reasonably, we get along reasonably well. Over 100 languages are spoken in the Anchorage schools. Uh, like I mentioned, we have a, a very large Native population, which I am uh, a very proud uh, member of, of, of the Alaska community when I, when I look at what our, um, our Native Americans have done up here in terms of um, uh, their, their corporate world, their tribal world, their, their consortiums, their health consortiums. I mean, all key in the fabric of Alaska. So, 
I would just tell the people of Alaska, there's always going to be something one can complain about. And that's just human nature. I mean, uh, we all do that. But boy, compared to other places in the world and some other places in the United States, uh, Alaska, I think Alaska's best next several decades are going to be some of the most exciting, positive, opportunity, opportunistic, opportunity for everybody that this state has ever seen. And I think our location on the map is going to bode well. Our resources will bode well. Our stability is going to bode well. So I would say if people are thinking about going somewhere else, I think they're going to miss out on um, some exciting things that are going to happen here in the state, to be honest with you. Well, Governor, I really appreciate your time. And uh, we wish you nothing but success here from Must Read Alaska. And uh, you're always welcome on anytime you'd like on the Must Read Alaska show. And for folks uh, tuning in, we're going to put that report into the um, description of the podcast. So you can go and download it. And uh, if folks are inter interested in helping keep the lights on here at Must Read Alaska, just go to mustreadalaska.com. On the right-hand side there, there's a little donate button. Every $5, $10, $100 helps. Until next time, I'm John Quick from somewhere in Alaska. Thank you so much, Governor. Hey, thank you, John. Have a great 4th of July. Greatest country in the world. <laughs> Appreciate it. See ya.